what you need to understand are all of us remember that's not the way the IRS works. They're not going to call you unless you have an existing issue with them. They're going to reach out to you by mail several times before they would ever try to reach you. So you would know that there is a problem. They're not going to text you anything. And if you're worried, you can call the IRS number and find out if there's a tax issue. But they also have information on irs.gov about what that claims do and won't do. Anyone that's claiming to be a government agency, whether it's federal, where it, whether it's your sheriff's office, whether it's, you know, you miss jury duty and, you know, it's okay, just pay this fine. That's not how it works. Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacy Francis, President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Over the last few years, there has been a 400% increase in cyber crimes and fraud reported. And that is why we are having our special guest today, Kathy Stokes, who is a recognized leader in the consumer fraud arena. She's the director of fraud prevention programs with AARP and is leading their mission to educate individuals about the risk that crime and fraud represents to people's financial security. Kathy has done so much work in this area and is in part responsible for the creation of a new victim support program. It's a multi-year campaign to end the use of gift cards in fraud and also fundamentally transform how our country addresses consumer fraud. Kathy is unbelievably active in this area and serves on the advisory council to the board of the International Association of Financial Crime Investigators. And she's also on the advisory council to the Senior Issues and Diminished Capacity Committee of North American Securities Administrators Association. Kathy has worked with victims of many different financial crimes, everything from asking for grift cards for release of a loved one from prison to fishing for money through email, asking you to click on a link and put in personal information, to impersonating someone by using their credit cards for purchases. There are so many and more, but the most important thing that Kathy shares is the three top elements that are part of every single criminal's scheme to be able to get your information and part with your money. So without further ado, please help me welcome our very special guest, Kathy Stokes from AARP, the Fraud Prevention Program. So Kathy, I am so happy to have you here. For all of you who are listening, just picture Kathy as a woman with a superhero cape as well as a shield they're really protecting all of you. As I mentioned before, she's the director of fraud prevention 
and works very closely with AARP. And this is a topic that is unfortunately more and more a need to know, must know. And so I just want to give you a warm welcome. Thank you for being here, Kathy. Well, thank you for having me, Stacey. I didn't bring my cape, but... You know, you may not be wearing it, but I see it on you, so... That's very kind. Thank you. So women who, you know, find themselves on their own, and and seven out of 10 women will be a widow at some point in their life. Eight out of 10 women will find themselves having to make their own financial decisions. It can be a really overwhelming time, especially if she has not really been in the driver's seat of finances. And quite frankly, these women tend to be a little bit more susceptible to all of the different fraud schemes that are out there. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, but I want to step back for a second to be able to put a bit of context around it because we have this presumption in our society that it's only older people who experience fraud. At that, it's because they're not tech savvy or they don't want to hang up the phone because they think it's rude or they're experiencing some sort of cognitive decline. The reality is that more younger people report experiencing fraud losses than older people. And that's just to say it's not bound by demographics or any age, gender, education. However, when that older adult is the victim, they typically have so much more to lose. I mean, think about it, 23 and you experience a tech support scam and you pay $300 for support that you never even got, that's terrible and it shouldn't have happened to you. But if you're 83 and you just lost $850,000 and that's all you had, and you add to that the shame, the blame, the, you know, oh my God, mom, what were you thinking? Instead of- Mom, that was a crime. I'm so sorry you experienced that. Yeah. And I'll actually just share an experience I had that I'll tell you, Kathy, made me feel so stupid. When I started my business, I was 27 and I hired an accountant and paid her $5,000, which $5,000 is a lot of money. But back then I had nothing. But she sold me the world of, I'm going to create a business plan for you. We're going to be able to file your tax return. And then she all of a sudden disappeared. With my $5,000, I was out of pocket. I'm so sorry. She disappeared. I was not the only person. There were some lawsuits that were filed against her. But Kathy, I thought I was a pretty smart person. And here I am finding myself. And that's just like one type of fraud. So I just want to say you're right. It's not the you know person who's in their 80s or 90s necessarily, or even their 70s. I mean, I was 27 and I, I would, came from Wall Street. I felt pretty darn savvy. And you are, but the criminals know what to do. She got you all excited, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. She said, you know, launch me. Yeah, she's going to make my business and my charity profitable, that I can help more people. And I remember coming home to my husband saying, I'm so excited. And just that I felt so naive. And you know what I chalked it up to, Kathy? I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Michigan. I was like, you know what? It's because I'm from Michigan and these New Yorkers are much more savvy than I am, which again, that's not what it was. But that's how I felt. Yeah, it has nothing to do with your own capabilities. 
They just know what to do. And the playbook is to get you into a heightened emotional state. And that's exactly what this person did. Got you really excited about yeah. things that are so important to you. And let's let's go. Let's do it. Whether yeah. it's excitement or it can be fear. The IRS is putting out a bench warrant because you owe back taxes and have to act right away. Or panic. Grandson's calling. He's in big trouble. He's got to get money right away. Right. The grandmother isn't thinking, oh, so I'm just going to give some money to a scammer. You have to yeah, think about no. her intent. Her intent was, oh my gosh, my grandson, my grandson, I love him so much and I'm going to do anything to help him. Yes, I'm going to send you $10,000 by purchasing gift cards and sharing the numbers off the back. Or yes, yeah. buy yeah. a box of $10,000 here, come and get it. When you're in that emotional state, it's physiology of the brain. You can't access logical thinking very easily. Yeah. That's why it's so successful. So Kathy, tell me all the different types of fraud. There's, you know, email and phishing. There's what you've talked about where the fraudster even could could have a AI that's creating a voice that's similar to your loved ones. What is the scope so we can at least know them in the back of our head to yeah. be wary of? Well, first let's talk about losses. Since fraud is so, and I, I don't use scam. I use fraud because I'm trying to help people understand that this is a crime and it sounds more criminal if we call yeah. it, it is, right? And I also avoid using fraudster because that sounds kind of cute. So I try to use criminal, predator, perpetrator to help people understand that this indeed is a crime and we have to help the victims much more so than we do now. But because of shaming, because we don't think of it as a crime, there's severe underreporting. But you yeah. look at Federal Trade Commission as sort of the agency of record on, on what's out there in terms of reporting. It, you won't believe it. I mean, and this is like a small percentage of what's actually out there. But in 2019, prior to the pandemic, when we all went online for our own years, losses were reported at $2.4 billion with a B. That's a lot, right? Go to 2022. Last year, reported losses were $9 billion. That's a increase of like four times, 400%. Four times. Just what's reported. Just what's reported. Why? I mean, is it that criminals are becoming more savvy? Is it that because there's more email, communication, social media, like where is it coming from? So there, there are a bunch of reasons. Part of it was that so many of us went online for everything in that period yeah. during the pandemic. People yep. who weren't used to working from home or purchasing things online to be shipped to the home or for social interaction. As workers, like we know technology and we know protections and we have IT systems, at least they're here to ARP to protect us. If you're not connected to the workforce, you're out there on your own. You don't necessarily know that that next email may have a link that's malicious or that text from your bank really isn't from your bank. And you add to that, just we don't do a whole lot about financial crimes, fraud in this country. So it's almost like more and more criminals flock to it because they're not going to get caught. And add to that, much of this now is coming out. It's transnational organized crime. These are illegitimate companies, right? Set up in India and Canada and Costa Rica and Nigeria and all these other places, Jamaica. They've got lead lists. They're buying and selling hot lists on the dark web. They've got employees. And sadly, some of them are now subject of human trafficking and they're being forced into this labor. They have the technology 
you can send thousands and thousands of emails or robocalls with the snap of your finger today. So the technology's gotten better and cheaper, and it's just become such an opportunity that even street gangs in the United States are turning to financial crimes because it pays more. It pays a lot more. It's a lot safer for them anyway. And, you know, if they get caught, they're going to slap on the wrist and be back out the next day. That makes me so upset. Sorry, um, it is, yes, it's, that's why I'm so passionate about this issue. You know, I feel like we are surrounded by this. Two weeks ago, I got a seemingly very legitimate trade confirmation of an account in my name at BlackRock. And they had everything looking the same as what it would look like. And I'm very savvy. I called BlackRock because I said, you know, this is not my account, but I called the number not on the statement. I called the number that was BlackRock. And it was, again, a criminal. Just for kicks, I called the number to see what the answer was, how it was picked up. And it sounded just like BlackRock. And it was pick this number for this, pick this number for that. And what ended up happening, the person picking up then said, oh, okay, can you clarify this information? Okay, let me see. Can you give me your social security number, your date of birth, your blah, blah, blah. And I knew exactly what they were doing based on that. But again, here's something, again, that looks very, very legitimate. So for me, I looked at that and I had the red flag of like, I don't have a BlackRock account. I did not make a trade for $50,000 to buy this bond. And so I knew there was something up. Are there any other red flags that you would say, Kathy, watch out for? There are so many red flags to so many scams, and it's really, really hard to sort of keep up with them. There are a ton of them. And what it's come down to right now is that you cannot trust an email with a link in it. You cannot trust a phone call because the number has been spoofed. You cannot Google customer service for Amazon because the number that comes up is bought by a criminal and you're going to talk directly to a criminal. All of our texts the same way. We, every form of communication we have today as a society is inundated with fraud. And we should be really mad about that. But when you talk about red flags, what we're trying to understand is for the lion's share of fraud that happens out there, we think that there are three elements that if they come together, it equals a scam and you need to disengage or not engage to begin with. And those are the contact out of the blue. You got that message from, was that an email, yeah. BlackRock or a letter? Or... That was a snail mail was snail account mail. statement to yeah. my address. Yeah. And you would think that that statement looks legitimate and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have an account. And you call the number on that, on that yeah. statement. I mean, that's what we tell you to do go to a, an account statement you had. But yeah. now you're saying this one. Exactly. And it was essentially the criminals. Yeah. And and I, I just knew something was off. And so that's why I found the right number for BlackRock, got through to the right people. And they said, okay, number one, we don't have an account in your name. And they didn't ask me for any information other than what was what was actually on the statement. And that's how I knew that I was talking to the right people because they weren't fishing for my date of birth, my social security, other account yeah. numbers of institutions, things like yeah. that. Yeah. 
So that communication came out of the blue and you probably yep. so out of the blue. Minute. Yeah. So out of the blue is the number one thing that we need to look for. Like, like, where is this? Yep. Yeah. The second is, is it sending you into a heightened emotion? Are you feeling panic? Are you feeling fear? Are you excited because it's 2 million in a car and the publisher's clearinghouse says it's yours? Those two and then urgency, you know, whether it. you need to call us right away to fix this problem or else you're going to get arrested or it's urgency that's created within you because you think this account statement might be real and somehow you're afraid you're losing money. Think about the folks that are, are listening to us now, many who may be widowed and have never really done a lot in finance before and they get this thing from BlackRock, maybe this is something my husband set up. I better call. Right? right? Yeah. And you think about after becoming a widow is a very stressful life event. And that stress can last a really long time. I mean, my mom was 46 when she was widowed. So I saw it for myself. And when you're carrying that kind of cognitive load, it makes us better target, sadly, for the criminals. You did everything because you knew what to do. Imagine if you were in a state of mourning, you wouldn't have been able to step back and go, okay, I think this might not be legitimate. Let me get Black Rod Squirrel and let me, you know, and do all that stuff. It's just out of the realm of the possibility. Especially for many of the clients that we work with, and I think a lot of the women who are listening today, they may not have had their thumb on the pulse of every single financial account. And so, okay, I found another one. What do we do? So for her, would a good thing to be, if you find out about an account that you have no knowledge of, again, do the research to find the number outside of this statement to call and verify giving the account number and they say, yes, correct, you have that account number and not giving them personal information as a double check. Yes. So... It's really dangerous to just Google Bank of America customer support because the number that comes up is probably not, the first one is probably not Bank of America. It's a criminal who's bought that ad. So oh my God. go right to bankofamerica.com. Got it. Sit in yourself. Don't follow a link because that link can take you to a page that looks exactly like Bank of America with all the wrong information that you'll get all flummoxed up with a criminal. So go to bankofamerica.com. If you have an existing relationship with that bank, that financial institution, go back to an old statement. If it's yeah. a credit card, flip that card over and call that number on the credit card. Yep. But don't rely on information somebody's giving you. You need to make sure that it's valid before you engage. You know, Kathy, you said something that I didn't even think was a possibility, that by Googling and looking up customer service Amazon, that that ad may very well have been purchased by that criminal, and then you're just following into their net. So going to Amazon.com, going to BlackRock.com, MerrillLynch.com, blah, 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 to make sure that you are going to an actual financial institution that is legitimate. And if you have an account, then you know how to reach them because you have an existing account with them that you, know, you get statements. Let's think about Amazon. Amazon, probably 98% of us have an Amazon account. But when somebody sends you an email or sends you a text confirming that you just bought seven iPads, what is our reaction? Oh my God, out of the blue. Yep. Oh my God, that's not my charge. I can't be, I can't afford that to, you know, be on my account. So you need to act right away, right? And so we 
click on the link that they gave us. We take the number they gave us. When really what we should try to train ourselves to do is like, I have an account. I go where I know that information is. I have an app for Amazon. I have an app for my banks. I go to those apps because I know that I trust them and the information will be there if they're trying to reach me for something. And so what you're sharing is that if you do see that, go to separate your Amazon account, whether it's an app or your your login, see if there's actually been a purchase. Yeah. Because you're right, I've gotten those too. I know they're fraud, but the way that I help myself sleep at night is I actually go into that account to see if there's been a purchase. And that actually brings up a good point. I interviewed Jane Chatsky years ago, and she's actually a financial correspondent and educator for AARP and someone that I just so look up to. And she said something that really stuck with me. And that was that those people who do bank online, that do use apps and check them regularly, are less likely to be victims of identity theft. Tell me about that, because there is at least that impression that if you are doing online banking or online purchasing, that you're much more likely to become a victim of identity theft. What are your thoughts, Kathy? Well, it's the exact opposite, just like Jane was telling you. If you don't have that electronic access set up for whether it's the Social Security Administration for your benefits statements or it's your bank or whatever, a criminal with the right information, and trust me, they have the right information on all of us. It's just a matter of when they're going to use it and how we can protect ourselves given the genie is out of the bottle. They can use your information and go to Bank of America and set up an online account using your information, but with their contact information. And they can take over accounts. And then there's you know setting up new accounts and people's names. So Gene was right. It's really much safer to have that electronic access. Better yet, it'd be an app. I think there's more encryption in an app versus a website. But it's really important to do that so that somebody can't do it by stealing your identity. But also because there are just so many things you can do to set up some, let's call it hardening of the target. I get a, a notification anytime something comes out of my checking account that's attached to my ATM card. Every time I get a text. And it's always something I know about. And if it's not something I know about, I know to act right. Mm-hmm. So those are things you can do when you have that electronic access. You can look daily or weekly instead of monthly with the statement that you receive or quarterly if it's a different kind of financial account. It gives mm-hmm. you that access all the time and it's sort of peace of mind yeah. that, that you know what's going on with your money. I hate to bring this up because it's really sick, but one of the things that criminals do is they look at the obituaries. And they use that as part of their blueprint of potential people who they might steal their identity. What are some tips that you can give? Is it closing credit card accounts in your deceased partner's name? What are some things that you might recommend to try and protect against these criminals? First of all, I think that it's really a lot safer to have a minimal amount of information in the obituary. If there's another way that you can um, share with a closed network of people the things that you want to say, that would be a better way. It's really important for social support, family and friends, be aware. If you're experiencing a friend or a loved one who's just become a widow, understand there's just a built-in vulnerability there. Help them. 
ask them to run things by you. If a financial yeah. situation comes up, if, if there are accounts that aren't being used, it was only in the husband's account, get those closed. Absolutely get those closed. All the banks work with you and a number you know to be legitimate on an existing statement or the back of the card. Exactly. The other thing, the time that this podcast is coming out is right around tax season. And we definitely do see more IRS-oriented criminal schemes. And I know for me, the three most scary letters to me are IRS. I am a Girl Scout, and I never want to be on the wrong side of the IRS. In fact, I'm one of those people who I know financially you're not supposed to do this. I prepay my taxes. I do. I just, I always want to make sure that there's no issues. But a lot of individuals are contacted via email, via phone, people posing as IRS employees asking for payment. What is the best way to make sure that that doesn't happen to you? Is it reaching out to your CPA and confirming, saying, I received this call? You know, I'd love to talk to you. Does this sound right? Do I owe taxes? And how do I pay them if I do? Yeah, you could call the CPA, but the CPA might get excited about it too and want to take an action and call a number that isn't legit. What you need to understand are all of us remember, that's not the way the IRS works. They're not going to call you unless you have an existing issue with them. They're going to reach out to you by mail several times before they would ever try to reach you. So you would know that there is a problem. They're not going to text you anything. And if you're worried, you can call the IRS number and find out if there's a tax issue. But they also have information on irs.gov about what exactly. they can do and won't do. Anyone that's claiming to be a government agency, whether it's federal, where, whether it's your sheriff's office, whether it's, you know, you miss jury duty and, you know, it's okay, just pay this fine. That's not how it works. Yeah, and, and I will say too, from my experience, talking to the IRS on behalf of clients for different issues, they're actually really nice. They're moms and their dads and their grandparents and grandkids. They're real people and they really want to be helpful. I mean, I think that's another piece to know is that they're there to help and they yeah. want to help you. And the IRS website, I will tell you, is just a wealth of helpful information. It, it really is. is. It there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really there. So the other um, thing that happens in the IRS world is someone stealing your identity so that they can set up, a, do a fake tax return. That has happened forever. And the IRS is getting a lot better at identifying that. But if you are in a situation where you go to file your taxes and you get a notification from the IRS that says, you've already filed them, we sent you your refund, your identity has been stolen and somebody has stolen that money and the IRS will work with you. I have a PIN that I get every year, a personal identification number from the IRS that I add to my return that verifies that it's me. It's a really helpful thing. You can learn more about that at irs.gov. It's an easy process to apply for. Maybe your CPA can do it for you if you have a CPA. We talked a little bit about gift cards. I've had a few clients that have been victims and just, you know, young clients, both very young clients to clients are very young in their, their 60s too. So 30s through 60s, it can be really compelling. Again, it is something out of the blue, something where it's very urgent and it's something that creates a lot of emotion. And usually it's, I'm traveling in 
Italy and my wallet has been stolen. Can you give me these gift cards so that I can get a hotel or, or whatever their story is? And I'm so sorry, my phone is about to die. I don't have battery power. And they're all different versions of that. If you see someone asking for gift cards, you know that this is a criminal. Is that kind of the... Full stop, 100%. Yeah. Gift cards are to be bought as gifts. That's right. Yeah. There you go, right? Yeah. But, you know, the FTC has a, has a great saying. It's like gift cards are for gifts, not fraud. Or I don't know what they say. Aren't offer payment. And they're not a legitimate form of payment. Yeah. Unless you got a Target card for $25 and you go on to Target to buy some lipstick. But again, that heightened emotional state and the criminal will have a reason for everything that makes it just makes so much sense. Oh yeah, the iPhone cards, those are actually backed by government bonds and it's a really safe way to get money. Or we touch at thousands of people who experience this every year. We have the Fraud Watch Network helpline. We're on track to be over 100,000 calls this year alone. And some of them are just, hey, there's a scam happening out there. I want you to know about it. Or like, hey, this letter from the publisher's clearinghouse, is it legit? Or it's the victim or the victim's family member. So we get a lot of information on this. And so often they were led to believe because of a really great story and a really good storyteller, something that wasn't true. And they bought the cards and it, it made sense because of what the criminal was telling. Yeah. They even say, when you go to the store, if they try to tell you not to, this problem is going to get a lot worse. You've got to push through that. You've got to get this money. Or the grandson is going to rot in jail. Or you know they're going to cut off your electricity tomorrow, and it's expected to be 32 below zero. Yeah, no, all those pieces. So tell me, the credit monitoring services, is that worthwhile? What's worthwhile? I mean, if you have the money... Credit monitoring services can be really helpful. It's nothing mm -hmm. you can't do yourself. You definitely want to check your credit reports several times a year. Annualcreditreport.com is where to go for the information. Up until maybe the end of this year, you can get a weekly report online. They've been doing that since the pandemic. And oh it's free. Gosh, I yeah. thought it was three times a year and that was it. There we go. That's since fantastic. The pandemic, it's been great. Get one a week. So you really need to be checking your credit report. Like I said, it's free three times a year, but if you space it out, so yep. like, you know, the first of the year, you're going to get the experience, middle of the year at the TransUnion, and then the Equifax, yep. generally going to be the same, so you get a good sense of what's going on. Freezing credit is a really, really strong method of fraud prevention. It's not foolproof. Sometimes things still happen, but if you have a credit card account, or even not that, if you're not going to be applying for a credit card or a loan for a house or for you know a car, freeze that credit down and it's free. You have yep. to go to each of the agencies and annualcreditreport.com is a great place to learn about how to do it. But you can shut down that credit and nobody, including yourself, can open a credit account in your name until you lift it. And you can lift it and then put it back down. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's really protective. You know, and actually, Kathy, I will tell you, that's what I do. So my credit is frozen. I have to lift it when I want to get, let's say, a new cell phone, because they'll sometimes check your credit. Or, of course, if you're buying a house, things like that. But it is so worth it because I know that I am safe and secure. 
And also just, again, everyone, that annualcreditreport.com, there's no negative. It doesn't hurt your credit score. Yeah. It does not hurt your credit score to get that copy. And you just take a look. I mean, and sometimes you may find, oh my gosh, I forgot to pay that medical bill. That medical bill's on here, right? So there's a lot of good things about that as well. The other thing I wanted you to share, and you talked about it just very quickly, but the FOD network hotline that you have at AARP, can you share with our listeners how they can reach out to that hotline with questions to be able to report, you know, just as another resource? So it's a helpline versus a hotline. So it's not like right. 24 seven and it's not law enforcement. What it is, is several hundred trained volunteers that work for AARP. AARP runs on volunteers. I think we have 40,000. And we have all these fraud fighters from around the country. They get trained at the state level and the national level. And they're there. If you want to call because you're not sure about something, if you want to call because you think your mom's experiencing something and you're not sure what to do about it, you'll talk to a human, a trained uh-huh. human who actually will empathize with you and not judge you because they understand that it's yeah. not your fault that this is criminal activity and they'll help you to know who to report it to. And like I said, you know, we get like a hundred thousand calls a year and they're not all AARP members. This is available to everybody. You don't have to be of a certain age. We also have an online victim support program, Zoom sessions by trained facilitators to talk to five or six victims at the same time or their family members to try to integrate what happened to them so that they can sort of move on emotionally because it's such huge impact emotionally. And the biggest benefit is hearing from other people that it happens to other people, that it's not yeah. your fault, that this is really sophisticated stuff. So yeah. there's a lot of really good help there. 877-908-3360 is that number. It's 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And for all of you listening who might be driving, don't worry, you don't have to try and write this down. This is all going to be in the show notes. And I'll also, for all of you listening, make sure that I have a link to the helpline so you can go to that part of the website too with all this great information. We have gone through so much. Kathy, we could really probably talk for another hour, but I think that the three things that you shared, you have just given everyone so many great tools of, again, out of the blue, urgency, and something creating an emotion, whether it's a, I want to blah, blah, blah from Clearinghouse or, oh my God, my grandson is in jail or I owe this to the IRS and I'm going to get in trouble. Those are all things where it then causes us to move quickly. And this helps us give us that just pause. And so reach out to AARP. You can reach out to your financial advisor. You can reach out to a friend, a savvy friend. But again, knowing that you're not alone, and I hope that my story of how I was defrauded and taken advantage of, and again, I think I'm a pretty on top of it person, it can happen to anyone. It's no more different than walking around and being struck by lightning. Do you blame yourself? I mean, if you have a big pole that you're putting up in the air, then then maybe you might be like, well, I should have hauled on to that pole. But there's no judgment and there is just no fault in any way. And we can use our language to really get that point across. When, when somebody experiences fraud, instead of saying, how much money did you give them? 
say, how much money did they steal from you? You're right. It's the criminal and it's the crime. It's not something the victim didn't know or didn't do. It's just, yeah. And I do want to just end on one other piece. Eight out of 10 women leave their financial advisor within one year of their spouse passing away. And so hiring another financial advisor is often something that a lot of women are looking for. And going to FINRA, looking up the person that you are interviewing, making sure that there are no violations against them, and also making sure that they're there, right? That they are who they are, who they say. Just making sure, again, that you have some great information on that. I know that you at AARP also have some good information. If you go to NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A, it's the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. They have some great information on how to find a financial advisor, as well as FINRA. FINRA, again, just th- those are five letters that scare me, but I will tell you the most friendly group of people that are really, truly consumer advocates to help you make sure that you're working with a financial advisor that is going to take care of you, not take from you. Yeah, the FINRA Investor Education Foundation and AARP do a lot of work together. We do a lot of research together. We just, we're all so passionate about this. The other really good place for information, just generally on finances and fraud, but generally on finances, investor.gov. That's run by the Securities Exchange Commission. You can learn I love so that. much about what to look for in an yeah. advisor, how to look up an advisor, you know, yeah. all of these things. So there's good information out there, but it's just hard to get in front of people. So I'm so grateful for you for talking about this today. We have to talk about it more. Take the stigma away from it. The more we talk about fraud and specific scams, the better protected all of us are. Because there's data from FINRA that says if you know about a specific scam, you're 80% less likely to engage with it. 80%. So we can't educate our way out of this. We have to do so much more, but education is a critical component. So Stacey, thank you for taking Thank you for being here, Kathy. We so appreciate you. Thank you. Education, education, education. Kathy Stokes is 100% right in the number one prevention of fraud and these types of crimes is having the education to be able to spot them and have others to support you as you try to navigate what is real and what is not real. I encourage all of you to reach out to the Fraud Network Helpline of AARP as well as FINRA when investigating hiring a financial advisor, as well as investor.org to make sure that you have all the information you need to know and are protected. If you have any questions about your financial situation, feel free to reach out to me. I am here and happy to help. And you can reach out to me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at FrancisFinancial.com. Or you can visit our website with a wealth of information at www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll be seeing you shortly in two weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call, and the number is 347 
347-682-5580. Let me say that again, 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.